welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. God is my judge is the title of this week's message, and Pastor Ben Pitney is going to speak from Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. I'm glad to be with you this morning, and I want to encourage you today. I think God has some really good things to teach us today. We are in a series that we're calling uh, The Great Mystery. But this, today, I keep saying this morning, because you might be listening to this not in the morning. Today, um, I think that what I want to do is I want to take just a little bit of a detour. The Great Mystery has been such an awesome journey through the book of Colossians. But the detour that I want to take is because next Sunday, May 31st, we're going to be coming back together and reopening the doors. So I want to challenge you with something that I think is really important. And it comes from a character in the Old Testament. His name is Daniel. Daniel was well known for a lot of things, but in particular, his prayer life. So I want to look into this famous guy's story just a little bit. There's a really, really great scene in Daniel chapter 6. And I just want to start right there. And we'll read 13 verses. And then I think that you'll see, obviously, the truth that will present itself and the way that we can be challenged to live in between now and really when we open the doors um, next Sunday to the church. And then we have to live differently for a while. Here we go, Daniel chapter 6. It says, it seemed like a good idea to Darius to appoint over the kingdom 120 satraps who would be in charge of the entire kingdom. Over them would be three supervisors, one of whom was Daniel. These satraps were accountable to them so that the king's interests might not incur damage. Now, this Daniel was distinguishing himself above the other supervisors in the satraps. For he had an extraordinary spirit. In fact, the king intended to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Consequently, the supervisors and the satraps were trying to find some pretext against Daniel in connection with administrative matters. But they were unable to find any such damaging evidence because he was a trust because he was trustworthy and guilty of no negligence or corruption. So these men concluded, we won't find any pretext against this man, Daniel, unless it's in connection with the law of his God. So these supervisors and satraps came by collusion to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. To all the supervisors of the kingdom, the prefects, satraps, counselors, and governors, it seemed like a good idea for the royal edict to be issued and an interdict to be enforced. For the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human other than you, O king, should be thrown into the den of lions. Now let the king issue a written interdict so that it cannot be Altered according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be changed. So King Darius issued the written interdict. Verse 10, when Daniel realized that a written 
decree had been issued. He entered his home where the window was in an upper room open toward Jerusalem. Three times daily, he was kneeling and offering prayers and thanks to his God, just as it had been accustomed for him to do previously. Then those officials who had gone to the king and came by collusion and found Daniel praying and asking for help before his God. So they approached the king and they said to him, did you not issue an edict to the effect that for the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human other than you, O king, would be thrown into a den of lions? And the king replied, that's correct. According to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be changed. And then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of your captives from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the edict that you issued. Three times daily, he offers his prayers. Now, I love this about Daniel. I love his character, and I love the things that come through. Because there's several things that I think that we can draw from this text, the truth out of here. And I think that it applies to us in particular right now. The name Daniel means God is my judge. And so Daniel lived up to his name in a truly remarkable way. He lived a life that shouted the truth. And the truth was that God is my judge, not man. God is my judge, and no king of Babylon or Persia is going to be my king. I will give an account to God only for how I live my life. Not to Nebuchadnezzar, not to Belshazzar, not to Darius. God is my judge. Now, before you get carried away here, I'm not going to suggest, I am not suggesting in regarding uh, the way we're being asked to live right now in our, um, in our city, in our community, in our nation regarding this COVID-19 virus. I'm not suggesting that we should be in rebellion and that we should be defiant or anything regarding that. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about the characteristic of Daniel's life. In other words, Daniel's life was centered on God. It was built on God. And his way of looking at the world was saturated with God. And that's what I'm suggesting here. In particular, we're going to get to his prayer life. But it comes out in all kinds of ways in Daniel's life. It comes out in the way he ate. It comes out in the way he interpreted dreams and the way he wrote his book and in the way that he prayed. And that's what I want to look at. Let's look at the way Daniel prayed first. Take, for example, uh, excuse me, let's look at the way he wrote. Excuse me, that's where I want to start, the way he wrote. Take, for example, um, this. When you look at the very beginning of the book of Daniel, chapter 1, and you look at verse 2, he describes the capture of Jerusalem and the kingdom of Judah by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. He describes it like this. He says, now the Lord delivered King Jehoiakim of Judah into his power, along with some of the vessels of the temple of God. He brought them to the land of Babylonia, to the temple of his God, and he put the vessels in the treasury of his God. And if you look at just that, fa- that phrase right there, now the Lord delivered King Jehoiakim of Judah into his power, just like that, 
God has one king in his power, and when he pleases by his power, he hands one king over to another king. God gave Jehoiakim into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. And you see, this is the way Daniel writes. He captures this characteristic, and he thinks like this. Again and again, Daniel tells the story of great political events like this, describing that God is in control and God does what he wants to do. Don't think for a minute that God has turned his head regarding what we're dealing with right now and this virus and how it's affected our world and our economy, our nation, our community, your lives, our jobs, our school systems, having to stay at home. God is in control of all these things, and his head has not been turned. I'm not saying that God has unleashed this virus, but he certainly is not taken by surprise like this. And if he has chosen to do this, there are reasons why he is acting and doing like this. And so we believe that God is sovereign and in control. And this is what we capture about the way Daniel writes. How about let's look at just the way Daniel eats or ate. Remember, Daniel was one of the captives that was taken to Babylon when Nebuchadnezzar captured Jerusalem right? He was chosen with others to be trained for service in the royal palace and fed with the king's best food and wine and all the delicacies that the king was eating. But Daniel saw his food differently for for him. Everything was about God, including what he ate. So when you look at chapter one, verse eight, it says, Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the royal delicacies of the royal wine. So Daniel looked at God to judge his cause and not to the king. And in verse 17, when you slip down to verse 17 in chapter one, it says, God endowed them with the knowledge and the skill of all sorts of literature and wisdom. And Daniel had insight into all kinds of visions and dreams. So he trusted God and what God wanted him to do and not really what this king wanted him to do. Let's look at the way he interprets dreams because this is Daniel's gift. This is how God uses Daniel quite a bit. Because the same God-saturated way of life, it comes out in the way Daniel interprets the dreams of King Nebuchadnezzar and the visions of Belshazzar, his son. He gives all the credit to God, for example, in chapter 2, verse 28. You can see it right there. It says, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the times to come. And then he accuses the most powerful rulers on earth of irrelevance and treason against God. When you go down to chapter 5, verse 23, take a look. You have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven. You brought before you the vessels from his temple. And you and your nobles together with your wives and concubines drank wine from them. You praised the God of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Gods that cannot see or hear or comprehend, but you have not glorified the God who has hit in his control your very breath and all your ways. See, every interpretation that Daniel gives has God right in the center of it. And great kings like Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar fade from history like a cloud or a puff of smoke but not God, the God that we worship and that we serve. So let's look now at the way 
Daniel prayed because this is the most important example that we can give. And it's the most amazing example of Daniel and the way he lives out his name in his prayer life. God is my judge. Remember, it means what God thinks and what God does matters more than what anybody else in the world thinks or anybody else in the world does. That's the way I want us to be at Vail Christian Church and why I want to challenge you uh, like this before May 31st and beyond that. I want us to think like this in the way that God wants to act and do things at Vail Christian Church because what he wants is more important than what we want or anybody else wants. And what he, the way he thinks is more important than the way we think. Now, again, got to bring balance. I know I'm not suggesting something that would be easy to jump to right here. I'm not suggesting that we, we should be in defiance of what um, our government has, has really asked us to do. Because basically what they have asked us to do is wait so that we don't overwhelm um, the medical system in our communities, right? The hospitals in our communities. They've asked us to be patient. They've asked us to stay home. They've asked us to wait. And we've been doing that. But it's time now, and they've given us permission, by the way, to open up our doors. We're going to continue to be safe, and we're going to continue to practice good things. But I'm talking about something bigger than this now. Because for Daniel, it meant that he had a life of, uh, his, his life was fearless. He was defiant. But he was disciplined in prayer. And that's the part that we're talking about. If what God thinks matters most, then you consult him most, in other words. If what God does matters most, then you ask him first. You ask him first. You don't, ask, you don't plan things and then ask God to bless your plans, right? In other words, you live your life by prayer. And that's what I want to challenge you with. I want Vail Christian Church and I want us and I'm asking you and challenging you to live your life by prayer. And I, want, I don't want you to forget that Daniel was a very powerful political person. He was. Back in chapter 2, verse 48, Nebuchadnezzar had made Daniel ruler over the, the whole providence of Babylon. And here in our, in our text, in chapter 6, verse 2, Darius makes Daniel one of the three supervisors over 120 satraps or governors of the entire empire. So he's a, a powerful person and he's an important person. And he's really immersed in the world that he lived in, but he lives by prayer. He lives by prayer. And he's fearless and he's disciplined in prayer because God was his judge. What God thought and what God did mattered most to Daniel. So Daniel lived by consulting God and by asking God to act. And I think if, if there's ever a time to ask God to act, it is now. I think people are more open because people are more vulnerable than ever now. So I think it's a time to really consult God and to live like Daniel's living here. So when I read this, it inspires me to be courageous in prayer. It makes me want to be fearless in prayer. And if necessary, defiant against all kinds of things, earthly powers, 
in prayer and disciplined as much as it's possible to me in prayer. And I don't want to be a spiritual milk toast Christ follower. I don't want to be soggy and weak. My hope is that God will use Daniel's example here to fill you with the same inspiration and the same kinds of commitment. And I'm not talking about risking your health necessarily. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. Again, I'm talking about something much bigger than that. Let's look how Daniel was firmly dependent on God. His amazing response to Darius's decree against prayer is, 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 is dependent on God, actually. He was one of three supervisors over the kingdom of Medes and Persians. Look at verse 3 in chapter 6. It says, now this Daniel was distinguishing himself above the other supervisors in the satraps, for he had an extraordinary spirit. In fact, the king intended to appoint him over the entire kingdom. See, it is his spirit that is so highly connected. I, I believe it is the spirit of God that everybody is attracted to and seeing that's different about him, you see. Daniel had an unbelievably successful future in front of him. All the influence and all the prestige, the wealth, the freedom that he could have ever asked for. But this made him a target for jealousy and envy. So verses 4 through 9 describe how the other supervisors and the satraps, how they've persuaded Darius to make a law that said, according to verse 7, look at verse 7, for the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human other than you O king, should be thrown into a den of lions. Now, nobody's going to get thrown into a den of lions probably right now in our culture. But there are other dens out there. I know that. In other words, Daniel's life of prayer was so well known. Think of this. And so established as a part of, as a part of his character that his enemies knew that there was one place that they could count on him not weaseling out. One place. <laughs> and that's his prayer life. My goodness. They were exactly right, weren't they? Verse 10, and when you look at verse 10, it's just it takes your breath away. Here's where I get the insight that Daniel's prayer was fearless and disciplined. Look at verse 10. It says, when Daniel realized that a written decree had been issued, he entered his home where the, wind, where the windows in his upper room opened towards Jerusalem. Three times daily, he was kneeling and offering prayers to thank his God, just as he had been accustomed to do previously. There are unbelievable dimensions of fearlessness and dependence that are revealed. I think six in particular. I want you to notice these things. Number one, he didn't act in ignorance, he acted in full knowledge. Full knowledge of the law and consequences. So it says when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went, and what did he do? He just started praying. He started praying. Don't forget, Daniel is right on the brink of being promoted to the main ruler over Persia. This is the big Dewey. He's in charge of everything, right? Think of the rationalizations that could have rushed into his head. My influence would be so great if I held that position, right? It's a lot to give up. I can do more for God alive than dead, so I got to be careful here. 
It's only 30 days, and then I can get back and I can pray again. Can you imagine how, 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 how you can wrestle through the justification? But he rejected all those rationalizations. He knew the law, he knew the penalty, and he went on to pray. That's what I'm calling you to do is pray. Pray. Look at this second demonstration of fearless dependence. He didn't go um, to a secret place to pray. He went to his house. Everybody knew where he prayed, right? He could have kept on praying to his God without putting himself at risk if he had just gone underground for 30 days. There's no law that says you have to pray in your house where your enemies will be looking at you. But what does Daniel do now? Here's a third one. He didn't go to a hidden place in his house, right? He went to a room with the windows open, wide open. Second story of the house, the most visible, the one that faced Jerusalem and not um, the palace in Babylon. Daniel is not just praying contrary to the king's decree. He's making a public statement. He's defiant here. We would say today he's demonstrating, right? He's doing an act of public civil disobedience, and he's doing it so in a public way that no biblical law requires. So now, again, be careful about what you think I might be suggesting, because I'm not. Here's the fourth thing. He did not pray once early in the morning when no one might be looking, but, he, but three times a day, every day. He would make sure that, he is, that it's not missed in his refusal to obey the law. And then fifth, when Daniel prayed, he didn't use the words that were vague and, and ambiguous, right? It says he was kneeling and offering prayers and thanks to his God, not Darius and not the God of the Medes and the Persians, but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then last, he didn't change the way that he prayed or do anything different to bend, the, bend to the pressures of the law of Darius uh, uh, that Darius had made. It says at the end of the verse that he prayed, right, just as he had been accustomed to do, uh, doing previously, right? There are many ways to pray that, uh, that might not have been uh, detected and would have uh, fulfilled the law of his God. But Daniel prayed fearlessly, and he was disciplined three times a day. So what does this have to do with me? That's where I want to get to. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, I just want you to see this. It says, whenever you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray while standing in the synagogues or on the street corners so that people can see them. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. But whenever you pray, go to your room, close the door, and pray to your father in secret, and your father who sees it sees in secret will reward you. See, <laughs> Like This looks like it's in contradiction to what we just looked at. See, Jesus was warning against our love of praise for prayer. That's what he was warning against. Not our willingness to suffer for prayer. He's not saying that it's wrong to be seen in prayer. He was saying it's wrong to be want to be seen so that you are to be praised for your spirituality. And I don't think that's what Daniel was doing. He wasn't looking for praise. God was his judge, right? In Daniel's context, right? And here we need really great wisdom to know our own context. The call of God is, uh, on, on his life was, let your light shine before 
people or before men so that they can see your good deeds and give honor to your father in heaven. For Daniel, you see, prayer had become a public statement about the glory of God over the glory of Darius. The glory of God. And it was a legitimate testimony. And so it is for us if our hearts are right. Daniel's prayer life was a testimony that his life was built on prayer. That's what this has to do with us. What is our testimony? What is our life built on? See, Daniel was making a statement, not just about God, but about his his relationship with God. That's the heartbeat of this whole thing here. God would not have changed if Daniel had prayed in secret. God would still be God. Daniel would still be a ruler in Persia. What would have been different is the way the supervisors, the satraps throughout Daniel's relation, uh, throughout noticed and observed Daniel's relationship with God. And when Daniel thought about that, he could not bring himself to hide. That's what we're talking about. His relationship that he didn't want anybody to be afraid of knowing who he belongs to. He was known as a man who lived by prayer. Everybody knew this. Whose life was built on prayer, who consulted his God in all things, and who sought the action of his God before he took action himself. You see, Daniel would not surrender that testimony. And I pray that we won't surrender that testimony either. I'm praying that our prayer would be a resounding testimony to God's glory and to our life and to our church being built on prayer and that we're not going to just fade away here. It has taken a tremendous amount of sacrifice by all, I am certain, to have to stay home and to work from home and to give up all these freedoms that we've had. And I think that we should have. And I think that we've been obedient and I think that the Lord has been pleased by that. But what we're talking about now is we're talking about our testimony to God's glory into our life and our church being built on prayer. Here comes this next point, though. What does this have to do with us? Daniel's prayer life was disciplined and it was regular. When the time came for a demonstration, see, Daniel didn't have to change anything. Nothing. He was already praying three times a day in a stated place. People knew it was a pattern. There was a routine. There was discipline. Doesn't it strike you strange that in America today, almost no Christ followers pray like this? Almost no Christ followers pray like this. Could it be that Daniel's discipline in prayer was the secret to his unexpected, unplanned, spontaneous encounters with God. I really believe it is. I think he was so disciplined, and people knew he was so disciplined. Could it be that that discipline is the place where all of this power grows? See, I think it is. I think it is. Patient discipline seems to connect Daniel to God's supernatural power. I want you to take time this week to step back just a little bit and plan some discipline into your prayer life and to be like Daniel. If there's ever a time where we can plan discipline like this into our life, I think it's now. I think it's now. 
How about this? Prayer is more valuable than life. Now, be careful. I'm not saying that we should sacrifice our life to this virus and all those kinds of things and take these unreasonable risks. Daniel knew that the penalty for praying would be the lion's den. So I'm talking about a different kind of a lion and a different kind of a den. I don't think that Daniel knew that he would be delivered any more than Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego knew that they had uh, knew what they knew when they stood before the fiery furnace. And you remember what they said. Let's look at Daniel 3.18. Look what they said. They said, if our God whom we are serving exists and he's able to rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, And he will rescue us, O king, from your power as well. But if not, this is the best part. Let it be known to you, O king, that we don't serve your gods. And we will not pay homage to the golden statue that you've erected. See, this must mean that prayer is more important than life itself. Daniel would rather pray than save his life. You see, that's... What I'm turned on about this passage, not praying was worse, was a worse prospect to Daniel than being eaten by lions. That's a radical commitment to prayer. Just think of it. Can you say with Daniel, you'll have to take my life before you're going to take my prayer life. I think that this is the kind of person that God wants us to be. And I think he needs us to be these things right now. I think the world that we live in needs us to be Christ followers and churches that live like this. I want to challenge you to fast and pray like never before. I want you to search your hearts and see if God is asking something new of you before we come back together. Because we have permission to come back together, you see? And I think that if you are vulnerable, obviously, if you're a little older, you know, you're more vulnerable. And if you have health risks, I think you should stay home. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be praying until there's vaccines and things like that that can make it more appropriate and safer to get together. But I think we should all be praying. This is what I believe God is asking asking us to do. Would you step back? Would you give yourself to fasting and praying? Would you seek the Lord? Consider Daniel as you think about the way you want to pray. Because if there's ever a time that we should be praying as Christ followers, I think it's now. I think the church is on full display as we come back and as we reopen our doors. I think we should do things right. I think we should be safe. I think we should be appropriate, but I am unafraid to be who God has designed us to be, men and women, Christ followers, and a church that prays like God is our judge in the way that we live and the way that we eat and write and think and interact with the world around us. Thanks for listening today. Lord, thank you for the few moments that we have together like this. And things are going to quickly change now. When we come back together, I'm praying, God, that we will be more healthy than ever, prayed up and ready to go and to do battle in this world, not with a virus, but to do battle with the way that we live and 
in fulfilling our mission and our mandate to present the gospel, to preach the gospel, to live differently than everybody else lives so that people would want what we have. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.